This is Grady Hendrix, and you are listening to Booked. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Olivia Snedden. This week, no book, but we do have an interview. It is with Michael David Wilson, uh, and here is his bio. He is the founder of This Is Horror, a professional writer, editor, and podcaster. His work has appeared in publications including No Sleep Podcast, Dark Moon Digest, and The Other Stories. His novella, The Girl in the Video, will be published later this month. I had a thought, because you said this week's episode, and it's funny because, mm-hmm. and I know we'll introduce Michael in a minute, but um, I, I was counting how many episodes we've done this year versus how many weeks there's been in this year, and we're a little <laughs> a little ahead of the game. So I think this is like our 21st episode in like 18 weeks or something like that. Yeah, um, we've, been, we've been busy, and it's been fun, and I got to tell you, um, and, and, and as clearly Michael will add to this, but the interviews have been really great. So, I, you know, we, we go oh, back yeah. and forth, right? There's an ebb and flow. Some years we do a bunch of interviews and then the following year we do like two and, and it, it's not, it's not a lack of people that are willing to be interviewed. It's really how we feel about interviews at the time. Yeah. Um, but I think we really kicked it off well with the first few this year that really got us in the, in the mode. I think that that really, um, yeah, if the first interviews we had this year would have been, you know, just just okay interviews, we might have been less likely to continue down this path. But I can tell you, in the next month, you're getting, including this one, probably three more interviews, four more interviews at this. But who knows? A lot of interviews. Yeah. Um, so it's very exciting. So it's a fun time. But yeah, I think I agree. Like, it's that rotten apple spoils the bunch. If we had one where not even that it was bad, but it wasn't just like you know. Um, pushing our momentum forward we'd just be like "Uh, you know whatever all right look we've only had like maybe maybe two bad interviews since we've been doing this podcast (laughs) it's true i mean it's true and that's out of a lot of interviews so you know i mean so we're fickle is basically what it comes down to (laughs) yep let's see if michael can continue the trend of excellent interviews we've had this year on booked all right, we don't usually do this um, and add something in after the review. So that's what might seem weird for those of you who are listening. Um, we're going to add a disclaimer. Um, is that the opinions in the following podcast are not mine or Rob's or anybody's. Um, really, we get into some pretty explicit talk about some uh, Internet videos. Um, so if you're weak stomached or easily offended, I don't know, skip like 15 minutes in or something. That should give you enough time to get past it. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. I know it's been a few years, uh, and it's like definitely way too long, but thanks for joining us uh, to talk about your new book. Yeah, it's great to be back after a half a decade hiatus, so I'm looking forward to this. It's been far too long. All right, we're going to kick it off with um, the way I wanted to word this question that was vetoed is, what the fuck were you thinking? But uh, let's go a different direction. Tell us a little bit in your own words about the girl in the video. So, I mean, the way that we've pitched it in terms of the elevator pitch is that it is the ring meets fatal attraction for the iPhone generation. And essentially what's going on here is we have a teacher living in Japan who isn't actually me even though I could understand why people might think, hmm, that sounds familiar. And he gets a bizarre and slightly arousing video. And like an absolute noob, he decides to click this cloaked bit.ly link and watch it. And then he starts wondering, is this 
a personalized video for me because there are things within the video that seem to be nodding towards him and his own personal history and his life. And slowly but surely, this turns into a kind of investigation as to the origin of this video. And then he starts to get more videos and the weirdness ramps up until its bizarre conclusion. And in terms of how the story actually came about, it came about when I was doing the one story per week challenge, which is pretty much exactly how it sounds. I was trying to write one story every week and then Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing put out the Lost Films anthology call out. So I started drafting up an idea for that, which became the girl in the video. But it was pretty obvious that the story was going to be a lot longer than the call out for the anthology. So I got in contact with Max Booth and I asked him what the upper limits were. And well, he asked me, how long have you got? And I said, well, I think this is going to be 20,000 words. And he said, uh, yeah, for an anthology, that is obviously far too long. So I thought that was that. But he said to send along the story anyway. And he liked it, offered me a contract. And the girl in the video was born. And now I guess three years later, it's finally coming out. All right. So I know you have to say that the teacher and the story is not you, but I mean, right. It's you, right? There are a lot of elements within <laughs> my fiction that are autobiographical, which for anyone who knows me will not find that a shocker and a big revelation. The, te the teacher himself is definitely not wholly me, but I think most of the protagonists that I write, there are like a lot of nods and parts to my life. I think that's a way to make a lot of the stories authentic. Now, I know that Graham Joyce said that he had a similar approach to writing, and he said the bits that are real for him are normally the bits that you'd absolutely think were made up. Now, I'm not sure that I can actually say that because a lot of the really weird bits in the story were not things that actually happened in my life. But, I mean, a lot of the locations, even some of the characters, are based off people that I have known on my travels, the places that I have been. And I think mixing that in with this kind of bizarre premise is is something that hopefully has lent to, to the success and the positive early reviews that I've got. But I mean, I haven't received a weird and bizarre video, which I anticipate may be a question <laughs> that you may be getting gone to. And I know in your review, you were talking about, you know, if if you'd experienced anything similar to that. So regrettably or possibly for the best that has not happened but i mean that was something i was thinking about a lot thinking about what what would happen if you got one what would happen if you then made every single bad decision and thus 
the girl in the video is what we've got. I've been staring at my um, Hello Kitty mask for like a week and a half now and just thinking of how to utilize that in a video. So uh, you never know. You you may get exactly what you what you asked for in this book just uh, from a from a middle aged uh, <laughs> middle aged American man. Instead yeah. of you know, I don't want to say too much, obviously, about the story, but instead of from who the 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 character, and I'm I'm doing air quotes because we're all still pretty sure it's you, the character in the book. Um, does. <laughs> I um, one of the things that that struck me is you seem to be very thorough with like hitting all the points, right? So the technology points. So you covered pretty much every communication medium that, that we use currently, at least in, you know, in, in 2020 um, and a lot of internet uh, lore and stuff. Is this naturally you, or did you have to look into, like, I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen bit.ly in a story before. You know what I mean? And that's something that people who use the internet a lot are familiar with. I mean, did you have to do any research into the, the tech aspects or should I say the internet aspects of this book or did this all just kind of come naturally to you? To be honest, the vast majority, including those shock videos that we spoke about off air, I am familiar with. The only thing that I wasn't actually familiar with prior to this is the reverse tin eye image search. And I don't want to talk too much about how that turned up mm. in the story, but it was actually Max Booth. So the editor who said, hey, at this point, wouldn't using a reverse image search be a good idea? And I thought, yeah, that is a good idea. I'm glad that you're my editor, Max. And that's, <laughs> that was put into put into the story. Um, but everything else, I mean, all the communication and the social media are apps that I'm familiar with. So it, it did come pretty naturally. There wasn't a lot of research that was required. And so obviously that that made writing it easier for me and, and probably, again, added that, that air of authenticity because, I mean... I've spoken about this with Bob Pastorella on This Is Horror podcast, but it can be so frustrating and so obvious when someone clearly does a bunch of research for a book and then they found out all these new things and at the absolute worst, they kind of put it in the story as an info dump. And I mean, with, with the, the better writers of the genre, you don't tend to see that, but there have been times where I've read a story and I've thought, this actually looks like you kind of had a page of notes and then you thought, oh, I'm just going to put it in the story. And I mean, that was something I absolutely didn't want to do. So, I mean, when I'm going through subsequent drafts, I'm trying to lose as many words as I possibly can and to convey what I want to convey minimally. All right, let's get to the good stuff. Of all those shock videos you mentioned, which one's the absolute worst? Which one should somebody absolutely not look up the second they're done um, recording this interview? Oh, God. Well, it's the one that you referenced in your review and you weren't familiar with, and that's swap.avi. So do you, do you want me to just tell you what swap.avi is? I, I do not recommend <laughs> y you, you experience it. And I also... If you were to start 
watching it, I highly doubt you will get to the end of it. And that is not necessarily because of how, how shocking it is. It is because of how long it is. Um, I think you should totally tell us about it. Now I almost feel challenged, like, like you know, reaction video challenged. Let's see. What do you got? What is it? Okay, so <laughs> I, I presume you're familiar with two girls, one cat. <laughs> I didn't think uh, I'd be yes. saying that in a podcast or yep, in yeah, most yeah. situations. Okay, so essentially, this is like the feature film length version of Two Girls, One Cup. So this is the same kind of thing, but it is a 90 minute feature length film of that. And I say I say feature film. I mean it's the same kind of production values as Two Girls and One Cup. And okay, look for for people who aren't familiar with this, this is essentially four women who <laughs> are shitting into each other's assholes, eating shit, vomiting on the shit, vomiting into each other's mouths and uh you know playing with that shit and that vomit for 90 minutes and 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 so i i feel that i should explain how i'm even familiar with that particularly <laughs> if, if people you know probably a lot of people have now turned off and unsubscribed to this as horror at this point but i mean when when i was at university me and my friends did like to kind of challenge each other with with the most uh, hardcore shock value things that we could. We'd we'd change our, our desktop backgrounds. We would put videos on um, what while the other person like popped out of their room for them to come back to. You know, it, it was a simpler time. That was the kind of thing that we we got up to, and I I think it was. Yeah, my, my friend, who's still a very good friend, who, who who introduced me to that classic. I don't think I was I was the one who introduced him. Um, that though it is to to date the 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 most awful video <laughs> that I think I've seen. Um, I think as well when I was early dating. My wife, like I was talking about shock videos, and for some reason I was like, "You have to, you have to see this one." And for some reason, she still married me. So I'm not sure what that says about me or what that says about her. But I, I think what I find funniest about Swap is that it, it's probably the the only shock video that I can think of where it's actually known by its file extension name. <laughs> that's a that's a very good point. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I um I'm gonna kick in with my own little story. I think this might have to do a little bit with youth. So when I was considerably younger, so probably about 20 years ago, and, and probably that was right around the time, maybe 20, whatever, five years ago, I was like the first person I knew that had the internet. Mm -hmm. So I was discovering all these wonderful things, right? So I'd be on like internet relay chat in like just the worst chat rooms in the world, like crime scene photo chat rooms, like downloading the most bizarre shit. But my favorite thing to do, are, are either of you guys familiar with the, the performer Gigi Allen? Yeah. 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 
Yeah. So I um, I had a G.G. Allen video. There was a, a documentary that someone made. Um, I think they made it right before he died because it included interviews with him. And there are some pretty terrible things in this documentary. It was definitely it was like a not it wasn't like rated like it was released without a rating. So it's pretty much anything goes. And I'll tell you, someone would come over and I would grab the VHS tape. And I'd say, you've got to see this. And I'd sit him down for 90 minutes <laughs> of a TV to watch a Gigi Allen documentary, which involved all kinds of bizarre bodily fluids and things. And now I find that in my late 40s, yeah, I'm not real likely to look up Swap AVI. But had I have caught wind of it, say, 15, 20 years ago, I would have been a little more likely, I think, to check that out. Yeah. And I mean, this is the thing I feel that. As, as a teenager and in my early 20s, like looking up anything that was like shocking or provocative. I mean, that was what me and my friends were were all about. So, yeah, the, the crime scene photos, like I remember when Saddam Hussein was executed. It's like, well, let's check out that video then. And I mean, you mentioned Gigi Allen and that makes me think, yeah, like even music came into it so it's like well i've got to listen to the band called anal cunt primarily because they're called anal cunt and then also all of their titles are just trying to to offend and provoke people i mean probably the most famous is hitler was a sensitive man followed by i lit your baby on fire and that's the kind of thing that you would get from <laughs> anal cunt uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I, I think G.G. Allen may have actually had a song called Anal Cunt, and I'm not I'm not trying to, to, to make a joke about it. I actually think, yeah, that there might be a little bit of crossover there between those two, those two performers. Yeah, that, I mean, that that would make sense as well if they got their name from G.G. Allen. In, in fact, as you were saying that, Oh, on their on their Wikipedia page, and we all know that, that that is, of course, a great source of knowledge. It says that a common misconception is that the band is named after the song Anal Cunt by Gigi Allen. But in fact, Allen's song was written years after the band had formed. Oh, interesting. Wow. Contemporaries, muses to each other. I'll... I'll get out of this by saying, in case anybody um, who's listening was not aware, I actually saw Gigi Allen last time he performed in Chicago before he died. So I did get to see him live. So there you go. And he's he's still washing up. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of anal cunt Gigi Allen trivia is that anal cunt did, in fact, record a version of I'll slice your fucking throat if you fuck me, which was originally recorded by Alan. So I think that was a little tribute to him. There you go. The more you know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure what anyone is going to do with that with that information. And I, I'm not necessarily sure if this is going to translate into people buying my book or if it's going to... Maybe this conversation that we're having is going to make people think that this book is a lot more extreme than it actually is. I mean, a lot of the the references to shock videos are, in fact, just references. But then again, the other day, Max Booth said I should go back on his 
podcast ghoulish and we should just talk about shock internet websites and internet videos and i said do you think that that is necessarily going to translate into sales and max said yes 100 percent. so you know if max as the publisher says it will then he, he's obviously right i mean he, he would never say something just for the laugh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, back to your uh, actual book, um, video is a medium that's used, you know, pretty consistently throughout the book and, and not just in the way of all the crap we just talked about. So um, what made you think of um, the concept for those videos that um, the main character receives? Is that like a, a genre of something that you're into or um, was it something you conceived of just for the book specifically? I mean, that's a good question, and it's it's kind of difficult to remember the exact order that every happened in. I mean, I knew early on I wanted the main character, Freddie, to get these videos from a girl that were both a little bit suggestive, but also weird. And then I was thinking of the kind of art house and giallo kind of school of thought and even though the lighting isn't mentioned a lot i did imagine that these were the kind of things that would be bathed in a kind of red light and that you might go to some kind of weird show which which was in fact pretty cool to hear in the the review that livius picked up on a lot of that so that hasn't been explicitly mentioned before in other reviews but i mean you did say that it brought to mind some of these kind of french shows that i can't remember if you said you'd been to or if you'd just seen them but i i was thinking of those things and then for every for every video it was like well how can i make this even weirder and then towards the kind of center of the book it's like what if as well as the videos it starts like kind of seeping in to his dreams and his consciousness and in doing that i mean it's almost as if the video it it is a virus that has taken over his mind and that he's thinking about it he's he's it's lingering and also adding some of those things that were, were almost nonsensical or had had logic gaps it's like okay is this a a trick of 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 the video editing or is there something supernatural going on here and i wanted to just add that little bit of ambiguity and and that doubt but i i think as well as well as art house and and giallo kind of thinking a little bit about what I could conceive of of Rob Zombie creating for a music video if like everything was was okay and there there were no kind of rules and I I could totally imagine you know Sherry Moon Zombie kind of creating some of these bizarre videos I feel that that wouldn't be out of her kind of repertoire I'm sure lots of people have imagined Sherry Moon Zombie making all kinds of <laughs> yeah. videos, including perhaps hosts on this podcast. So, yeah, it could could um, be. And if, if people want more thoughts on what we think to 
Sherry Moon Zombie, they can check out an early episode because <laughs> I think it was Lord, Lords of Salem that we reviewed yeah. together with that reprobate John Costello. Oh, right. That's correct. A, while, yep. a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. John Costello was someone who would always be, be very vocal about his thoughts uh, towards Sherry Moon Zombie and other people and... Well, he, he's not part of the, the podcast anymore. I can't confirm or deny whether that's why. All right. So I mentioned this at the very beginning of our review of um, your book and uh, gave you a lot of praise. So I want to give you an opportunity to like just live in the fact that like you've got the best bio set up on your website of like anybody uh, we've ever interviewed uh, was was where'd that come from? Where was your where'd you get the idea to have multiple different length of bios on your website? I mean, I was just thinking of it from a practical point of view and the fact that if I'm looking for a bio because I've, I've got a podcast episode or I've done an interview that different different mediums and different articles are going to require a different length bio. And I thought rather than kind of play it and take take it to chance by just having one bio why don't i put three of them up for different reasons and then people can select the one that is best for them it makes it easy for them it means that if they want to add words that they're not i i don't know almost like fleshing it out with things i'd rather they they didn't mention like oh he, he watched uh swap.avi it's like no don't fucking include that or equally <laughs> if the bio's too long i don't really want them like to remove lines that i'd rather keep in so i suppose in saying that it was a combination of making things convenient for people and then quite possibly me controlling what content is put out about me. Yeah, if we had a nickel for every time we've edited something out of somebody's bio for the sake of brevity, um, we'd have I, a bunch of nickels. I lots don't know how of, many. But there, there, would, there would be there would be nickels enough to buy a couple sodas at a vending machine, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, another thing with the bio as well is that I'll frequently come back to that page and update it because I guess something that that can be frustrating with, with like this is horror podcast is sometimes you go to an author page and it's like, oh, you kind of last updated this in 2011. So then either I put your really old bio on the podcast or I have to kind of rewrite it for you so again just making things easy and making sure people have the correct information so i mean i know at the moment that it's saying the girl in the video will be published in april so you know pretty soon two days i'm gonna have to put that that is already out my my only recommendation would be uh one so adding a fourth um, that's a three letter bio or a three word bio and it's just literally Michael David Wilson and then that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh I'm I'm so tempted to do that. It's fucking stupid and that, that is <laughs> that is why. <laughs> like Yeah. <laughs> just to please so it's already us. Yeah. <laughs> 
So it's already come up a few times, and we'll give you an opportunity to obviously tell our listeners. I'm going to assume most listeners, it's come up enough that they had to have checked out This Is Horror. But, um, you know, give our listeners a short look at This Is Horror, and then we want to talk about how you feel the podcast has changed over the course of the years. Because as we kind of mentioned, I don't remember if this is off air or not, we haven't talked on the podcast for about five years now. Yeah, so, I mean, This Is Horror podcast is a podcast with over 340 episodes and in it we interview masters of horror and beyond but it's not really just about finding out about their books it's about finding out about who they are as a person and early life lessons and I mean so much so that I mean often these these conversations will go on for a a couple of hours and the first hour is often about them as a person and then we will get into their actual stories and their work and in terms of how it has changed over the last few years or or indeed over its history I mean first of all the fact that we're concentrating on these long-form conversations is a change because early doors we were mixing it in with reviews but I just decided in terms of the direction that I wanted to take it was was to have these conversations those were the things that interested me the most I also thought in terms of like you know keep keeping uh, in, in good spirits with people within the community it might be might be better to just have the conversations because if I review something, I mean, like like yourself, you have to be absolutely honest in what you're saying, and you know sometimes that isn't received as well. And also added to which, I I find the conversations more enjoyable for me to have. I think as an interviewer and a conversationalist, one of the most positive changes is probably early on if something came up and it was a little bit sensitive I might not necessarily follow up on that but now I mean whether it's gonna hurt the person we're talking to in in terms of emotional pain or whether it's going to make people uncomfortable or be controversial I mean that is the stuff that I will absolutely follow up on because I think that is the stuff that is interesting so I mean we've been very candid talking about mental health issues and depression I've also spoken to people who have had pretty rough childhoods and talking about navigating that pain and also you know, spoken to people who have like lo- lost their their life partner. I mean, Steve Rasnick Tem was married to Melanie Tem for for decades, and you know, th- then then she passed away. And so I spoke at length about that. And I think you know, not shying away from a question and having these these candid and these authentic conversations that's the kind of stuff that I want to listen to and I mean that's kind of my my rule with a lot of things that I create I create the content that I want to have out in the world and 
I mean, that, that really was the same with the girl in the video. It was this, the the kind of story I wanted and enjoyed reading and thus enjoyed writing too. I, I think with the podcast, obviously that there are more episodes now. We've even had some weeks where we've put out a couple of episodes, but I, I mean, like like you, I'm always trying to to better myself as well. So, listening to a lot of other interviews and thinking about you know what is the the art of the interview and the art of the the conversation and trying to to fine tune that. And I'll have some questions that that are my go tos, but then I'll also cycle in others as an experiment to see how well they work and sometimes they work well and then they become a part of the show and other times they just they don't work at all so you know what one go and 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 we're done and of course another change over the years and I'm trying to think in terms of when I last spoke with you it might have been that Dan Howarth was the main <laughs> co-host. And now, of course, it is Bob Pastorella. And I mean, there's a good connection to Booked there because I first became familiar with Bob Pastorella because of the Booked anthology. I mean, his story was one of the three standout stories for me. And I thought, wow, I've got to kind of get to know this Bob Pastorella guy. And so got him on This Is Horror, and then from there he wrote a few things for the website. And then when Dan, so when Dan's wife gave birth to to their child, like he went off on a hiatus, Bob was a stand-in co-host, and well, he's been standing in ever since. Man, yeah, Bob. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, I know that we, uh, probably most of the crossovers or uh, appearances we've done were pre-Bob, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Maybe that last time that you, inter- you interviewed on our show, maybe he was he was taken up like a per- more of a permanent thing. But the Bob the Bob changeover probably was a big <laughs> big big change in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, and I mean Bob. Is the the only co-host of the three that I've had that has has had the same kind of energy and time to be able to to do the show as frequently as I want to. So originally, when it was me, Dan, and John Costello, I mean, John would would physically come round to my apartment and we'd record the podcasts. And I mean, he. He's a busy man, so we're only really putting out an episode every month or so. And then because I wanted to put them out far more regularly than that, I mean, John kind of had to step away. And then with with Dan, I was always pushing for it to be a weekly show. And I mean, sometimes he could make it, sometimes he couldn't, but... I, it, his schedule um, just just didn't allow for podcasting as frequently as I wanted to. And then Bob came into the picture and, yeah, he he's, he's up for it. There's been times where I've been like, right, we're putting 
out a couple of episodes this week and we're doing a story unboxed and he's like yeah let's do it and i i suppose story unboxed which is a, a patron podcast is the kind of evolution as uh, as to the, the nearest to to us still reviewing and so rather than reviewing we'll take a classic short story or movie and then we'll we'll analyze and we'll dissect it and i suppose in a way lit reactor has been a bit of an influence on this as horror in that we want to like a, approach these horror texts from from a more literary criticism point of view and so that is what story unboxed is um, oh, <laughs> i'm so glad that you talked about being open and and, and having honest dialogue because i don't know how this question is going to land so um for a number of years this is horror produced some truly phenomenal chat books yeah are you done with chapbooks? And and if you are, or t tell us what happened, I guess, because it's been quite some time since we've seen something come out from This Is Horror. I mean, so something that, that I've been saying for a long time is that you can be good at anything you want, but you can't be good at everything. And so there are different seasons in my life where I focus on different things. And so, I mean, I... I podcast, I publish, I edit, I write, and often I can do two of those things fairly regularly, but it's quite difficult to have all four going at the same time. Now, the podcast has always been a mainstay, and I mean, I think that is going to be going on, you know, as far as I can imagine, but it was around... 2016 where I said look you know I I call myself a writer it's even in in the Twitter username it's Wilson the writer but I'm I'm approaching this writing thing very half-heartedly like that I'm not doing it as frequently as I can so 2016 and 17 have to be the year where I'm writing or I just accept that that isn't so much a part of my identity as I thought it was. Or perhaps I can change my name to Wilson, the nonfiction writer, but that just doesn't sound <laughs> as catchy. <laughs> so I I knew that to be able to make time for the writing, there were other things that had to kind of go. And I thought at that point, I put out 10 chat books, well, well 10 books, in fact, because the the kind of last four releases or so were novellas rather than chapbooks. I know I've established that publishing is something that that I can do and that I feel okay about, but my writing is, is almost a sense of pain and frustration that I feel I haven't proven myself in that arena yet. So I started writing fairly regularly in 2016 then in 2017, I took it to the next level with the one story per week challenge. And I mean, that's kind of reflective of my personality. I don't seem to be very good at, 
are easing into things. It's almost an all or nothing. So I I did that. And I mean, I haven't really stopped in terms of regularly writing stuff since since I made that decision. And now, you know, I can happily call myself a writer. I've, of course, now in a couple of days got the girl in the video out, but I've also had a number of short stories published, a lot of them being on the other stories podcast. And so a, a fallout of that was that I had to ease off on the publishing and I thought that, you know, this is time for me to put my energy into my own work, not necessarily in, into other people's. And since making that decision, I've put out Water for Drowning by Ray Cluley as an audio book, because I do think that the audio market is, is, is not as tapped into as it really should be. I mean, I think any release should get an audio book and if it doesn't that is money that you're missing out on but also I mean this is about creating things that I want to see in the world and I'm a, a big audio book fan so I did that and at the moment there is another This Is Horror publication release that will probably be coming out next year I'm also looking at independently publishing a novella that me and Bob Pastorella have co-written. And like that there's a temptation to get back into publishing. It's something I enjoy. There are a lot of writers that I want to see put out some of these novellas. But it it's just making sure that if I do it, that I have the necessary time and resources to commit to it. And right now, writing and podcasting are the two priorities. So if I do put out more novellas, I've got to make sure that I do it to the best of my ability and I do it when the time is right. So I I keep thinking about it. I, I want to do it, but, but, but where's the time? It might be that I... I decide to put out a This Is Horror novella every year. That might be the compromise. It's something that I'm thinking about. And I think now that I do feel more secure in my identity as a writer, that there's potential that I can get back into the publishing. So I know that that is perhaps a little bit of a... Uh, a meandering answer but it but it's the most honest answer <laughs> i've got for you so so i think selfishly we asked this question because um they're all like the the chat books that you put out or the novellas that you put out were great uh very good stuff um and and so that's i think that's where that came from was the hopes that maybe there would be more of them but um looking at the stuff that you have published and where the some of those stories have kind of evolved is interesting to think about too so what does it feel like for you to see for example the visible filth get taken on by saga press and released as wounds which then became adapted into a movie or like recently we were talking to josh mallerman about house at the bottom of the lake and how 
that's getting that got picked up by Del Rey, and now um, you know maybe in development for film too. So does that make you feel like, man, I've got a really good eye for good work, or does that make you feel like, man, they're stealing my shit? <laughs> it's a difficult one because they're a conflicted emotions. I mean, firstly, it's so good to see some of the stories being picked up and made into films. So to see wounds on the screen and to, you know, remember first reading that and editing that and then to to see like a proper fully produced movie was just absolutely fantastic and, and a real thrill for me. And I think that the movie is incredible. I think it's very faithful to the original text. And so, I mean, that that's probably what one of the, the best and most surreal experiences. I mean, I think it could only really be be bettered if if one of my own stories is is turned into a movie um which which hopefully will happen. I mean, I've had someone already inquire about the girl in the video then nothing's been signed and this is very early stages i I haven't mentioned that on another a podcast but yeah i i think the girl in the video would lend itself to film so fingers crossed that will happen um in in terms of these stories being picked up by bigger presses i mean it's validating in the sense that it shows that I that I must have a keen eye for these. And of course, I'm happy for Josh and for Nathan to be going on to two bigger and more financially lucrative things. There is a slight frustration in the sense that, I mean, some presses have obviously seen these stories are making money and then the, the contract has elapsed and then I can't compete with what is being offered by a, a, a bigger publication. And I mean, I'm wondering how much detail to go into, but I mean, certainly with one of those stories, I was going to renew the contract and I was just fleshing out the details to that but because it was quite a tumultuous time in my life I was a little bit slow in getting back to the person about that and so I think if it had been a better time in my life then I would have actually re-signed one of those books and I'd have had the the publishing rights for longer and I would have made a lot more money off it but you know that that is on me but at the same time I do accept that I I can't offer the kind of marketing that Saga or Del Rey can offer this as horror is not big enough to to deliver that and even to to a point to deliver that distribution. I mean, of course, anyone can order in a This Is Horror book, but I don't have the kind of power to get it into supermarkets. And that's the kind of thing that that Del Rey, owned by Penguin Random House, I mean, they can do that. They've got a proven track record. So I think ultimately I'm happy 
for the for the authors and i i think as well though that that does go back into the the question as to you know whether i'm going to do more books or how i feel about it and i feel when i was first doing the this is horror books there were way less people independently producing novellas and so there was more of a demand but i did think you know if i if i produce novellas now am i actually doing something that no one else is doing am i actually creating a market where there's going to be new stories or is it actually a case that well if i don't publish them they're going to be picked up by someone like perpetual motion or crystal lake or grindhouse or unnerving i mean there are so many more small presses now and I, and i think as well like seeing these titles get picked up by bigger publishing houses made me aware of my own limitations and if if it turns out that i can't offer you know, a, a service that is that is what these authors want if there are these limits then maybe it's better for me to not be in the publishing game and for me to leave it to the people who can who can satisfy these authors and can meet this demand and i think having an awareness of my limits is important because you look at someone like del rey i mean it's a, a full publishing house but with this is horror i mean i'm essentially editing i'm marketing i'm doing the financial accounts and so if i wanted to expand this is horror it might be a good idea to get individuals in to run these different parts of the press so it, it's all about just weighing up the circumstances and the needs at the time but i am delighted to to see both of these books doing so well of course i'd like it from a selfish point of view if i were to financially benefit a little bit more from that but you know i i signed a a contract for a limited period of time we honored the contract we both made money out of it it was a successful partnership and i mean i i said to to one of them because one one of the authors was pretty reluctant about doing it and didn't want to you know go away from this as horror but i said look this is more money for you if it was me i'd go for the one that that gets me more money this is a a business decision and any publisher or any reasonable person is not going to fall out with someone or it's not going to think someone is is shitty because they didn't renew a contract you know the contract that we agreed to has been fulfilled so it's done and if you have a deal where you can now make more money why wouldn't you take it a couple of things i just want to say so this is um something i've said before Probably not to you directly, but I've always been impressed at how many um, balls you could keep in the air at the same time. So the website, the publishing, the podcast, and then your own personal writing is way more than Rob and I collectively would ever do, try to do 
and there's two of us, you know, spearheading the operation. So um, kudos for you. Also, I want to say that um, I appreciate the honesty, right? So a lot of times we talk to a lot of people and we, we don't talk about money. And and here's where I'll say that, that for Rob and I doing this podcast for years and years, like money is one of those things we never think about. So I really appreciate your honesty because there's that component to be, not just being a writer, but to being a podcaster or an owner of a website or, or any of the ventures that you mentioned that, you know, it, it's there's there's a financial aspect to it that I don't think we're open enough about um, on a regular basis. So, again, I, I really appreciate your your um, being candid in your answer. That being said, we've talked about a lot of things that might be coming up. What do you think we'll see next, either from you on a personal level or from the This Is Horror banner? Well, I mean, are we talking just about publications or are we talking about anything? Just, just anything, anything, anything you're excited about. Well, I can tell you that in a matter of weeks, if not this week, you will find out that this is Horror Award shortlist, which kind of turns up later and later in the year every fucking year. And that may have something to do with time constraints, but it turned up in April last year. It's turning up again in April this year. In terms of a This Is Horror story, I mean, actually with the girl in the video, the paperback and the ebook is being put out by Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing, but the audio rights were left to me. So I am putting out the audio book. It is narrated by RJ Bailey, who did Water for Drowning, and that will be out in a matter of weeks. I mean, we've just finalized the edits for that now, and I'm very excited about that. I mentioned, of course, that we've got Peeper Ritual by myself and Bob Pastorella. We're going to be putting that out as a hardback to begin with. So this will be the first hardback that I've put out. And then, of course, it will be available later in all formats. I mean, I, I can tell you that going forward, any time that I put out a book or this as horror does, there will be an audiobook version because I just think that this is the market and the time that we're living in. And also, even if I didn't make much of a profit off it, it's something that I personally want to see. And I think it's such a growing market that it's something that's an investment for years to come. And in terms of the podcast, I mean, we're putting out weekly content. We're going to be chatting with a number of people that we haven't spoken to before. People like Lawrence Block and Sarah Pinborough and John Horner Jacobs. So we've got a lot of new content and a lot of new guests coming in 2020. And we're always looking to grow and to get better. And so, I mean, on that note, for people who listen to the podcast. I mean, it's great to hear what you like, but it's also valid and valuable for you to let us know what you don't like. So certainly, you know, don't don't be afraid to get in contact and to let us know 
how it's working for you. Well, Michael, thanks for taking uh, time out of a chaotic um, schedule pre-release to talk to us about the girl in the video. It's been a blast. Let's not make it five years before we do this again. Hey, yeah, certainly. And I mean, this has been a lot of fun and it feels right and it feels full circle almost that, I mean, Booked is one of the podcasts that in influenced this is horror i've always been very open about that and saying that the the three podcasts that influenced us were booked horror etc and the geek's guide to the galaxy so for you to have influenced this is horror and for me to now be on promoting a book that i've written it feels full circle and it feels good so thank you very much all right. What a great conversation with Michael. And again, I want to make sure that I uh, put it out there. The book is coming out April 28th. Um, so definitely check that out. Pick up a copy uh, when that comes out. For sure. And you heard us talk quite a bit about This Is Horror, the podcast. And you can find that and all This Is Horror things at thisishorror.co.uk. Also, just by searching This Is Horror, it's the first result I just checked. Um, but yeah, great conversation. Um, get, go out and pre-order, or at this point, I mean, probably just straight order, but depending on when you're listening the girl in the video, it's a, it's a fun time. Um, and apologies to anybody who listened to all that stuff about weird internet videos <laughs> and stuff, because I was really getting into it, and I was like, oh my God, Rob is sitting very quietly and not saying a word, and I'm thinking, oh man, I wonder how many people turn this shit off. So if you're still here... Apologies, but uh, Google swap.avi. Let us know what you think. <laughs> um, all right. Coming up next episode is going to be our review of The Bank by Bentley Little. Uh, I just finished it last night, and uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation because uh, it was an interesting read, for sure. Um, I have not yet finished it, but I will say that um, definitely an interesting book. <laughs> so this this one this one should uh, should be a lot of fun. So come back in just a few days to, to check that out. That's going to wrap it up for this one. Until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livius Ned, and keep reading.